0: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need
1: Rose. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, what's going on? Well, at the minute,
0: there's blood flowing through my body. at different rate of speed depending on how fast I breathe. I'm also breathing. The Earth is spinning around and around. It's also going around the Sun. And the Sun itself is going around the galactic centre as the universe just spins off into infinity.
1: Thank you, Captain Literal. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and how are you in the grand scheme of all these cosmos-type things? It
0: uh, mustn't crumble. <laughs> all right.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's all good here. How about you? Uh, can't complain. I'm excited to uh, jump into our movies tonight. So why don't you tell people what we have on tap for this episode? Yes. This
0: week we'll be going after the ending of Minority Report, the Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise adaptation of the Philip K. Dick. Short story, but first we'll be going after the ending of Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy, and also we'll be looking at the, our top ten films of 1922.
1: Yes, jam-packed episode, and uh well, may as well, why, no time like the present, right? So why don't we jump into things and start off with Chasing Amy. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> well, it is my favorite Kevin Smith movie, I will say. Uh, hands down and uh, it is a movie that I, I I love very very much it's um I just I, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan anyway but I do think it's his finest film and uh, so I'm excited to see what we've come up with
0: yeah I, I agree with you I do like Kevin Smith's work and uh, yeah Chasing Amy I think is one of his more well-rounded put together films
1: yeah, I think it definitely is the one that best kind of bridges that gap between the sort of Kevin Smith humor that you know that that sort of frat boy humor that he does very well, but yeah. also has a real heart to it and yeah. has a real story. And I think it has a perfect ending, and um you know, it's great cast, and you know, just it's it just works on every level for me. And I, I do think it's definitely his you know his most complete film.
0: Oh yeah, definitely have to agree with you there. Yeah, great. Yeah, do you want to give us a
1: Do you want to give everybody a rundown of what happens in the film? Because it might be a few years since some of us have seen it. I will certainly be happy to. So Chasing Amy, 1997, starring uh, Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, and Jason Lee, directed by Kevin Smith, who also co-stars as Silent Bob, along with Jason Mewes as Jay of Jay and Silent Bob fame. So story goes, Holden McNeil, played by Ben Affleck, and Banky Edwards, played by Jason Lee, are best friends who create a comic book called Blunt Man and Chronic together. At a comical convention, they meet Alyssa Jones, played by Joey Lauren Adams, and Holden is instantly smitten with her. Unfortunately, he soon learns that she is a lesbian. They start hanging out as friends, and eventually Holden confesses that he's in love with her. She's mad at him at first, but she comes around, and they eventually begin a relationship. Banky, meanwhile, doesn't like Alyssa and is especially upset when she and Holden start dating. He looks into Alyssa's past and discovers that she was promiscuous in high school with guys, and Holden has a hard time dealing with this because he thinks that he's the first man that she's been with. They get into a huge fight, and she reveals that she used to date guys but basically got tired of all the BS and realized that women were just a better fit for her. When Holden meets with Jay and Silent Bob, who are the inspiration for Blunt Man and Chronic, Silent Bob reveals that he was once in a relationship with the perfect girl, but he got hung up on her past and he ended up losing her as a result, and he's spent every day since then chasing Amy, so to speak. Holden then tries to save both his relationships with Alyssa and Banky by proposing a threesome with them. Banky agrees, but Alyssa refuses and storms out, and Banky leaves as well, with both relationships clearly over. One year later, we see Banky and Holden at a comic book convention, both promoting separate comics and no longer working together. Banky and Holden see each other and share a nice silent moment, and Banky points out Alyssa, who's promoting her own comic. Holden talks to her briefly and gives her his new comic book based on their story, and it's called Chasing Amy. On the last page, it says, Wherever you are, Alyssa, I'm sorry. She tears up and tells him she'll read it. After he leaves, Alyssa's new girlfriend shows up and asks who Holden was. Oh, just some guy I knew, Alyssa replies, and then goes back to Signing Comics. And that is Chasing Amy. Yeah, Very nicely done. Thank you. It's a lot funnier than that and a lot more yeah, moving than yeah. that. <laughs> the 30-second version doesn't quite do it justice, but that, just a little refresher for you.
0: Yeah, and it also shows, once again, that a threesome will not solve anything. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i um yeah i i i don't even know what to say to that so.
0: me neither i don't know why i said it but it's uh <laughs> i remember when i first watched the film and that that was his solution to try and fix things and i remember going oh you idiot that's not never going to work
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean definitely not uh not a great <laughs> a great decision for that character for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. that was that was what he went with and he crashed and burned crashed and burned exactly all right phil well, why don't you share your day after with us okay Having now written
0: Chasing Amy, Holden feels that the need to do something a bit different. Once again, inspired by Silent Bob, he starts a new comic simply called Kevin. (laughs) It features a character called Kevin Smith, who looks a lot like Silent Bob. (laughs) The comic is all about Kevin trying to get a small independent film made called Shop Assistance. (laughs) Holden includes real people he knows as characters, but Holden's not sure where to go with it. But he likes the dialogue and carries on. He also now works in a studio with his old friend Jason. And that's my day after. Very nice. I like it. (laughs)
1: Okay. Uh, What about uh, your day after? All right. Well, at the convention, Banky is approached by two of the mainstream comic book companies to take over inking duties on their books. Marvel offers him a job on Daredevil, while DC offers him inking duties on an upcoming Batman Superman crossover miniseries. (laughs) Banky accepts both jobs while continuing (laughs) to self-publish his Baby Dave comic, so he has his creative freedom. Holden calls Alyssa and invites her to meet him for coffee. She agrees, and the day after the convention, they meet at a local geek-themed coffee shop called Wolverbean. <laughs> which, in my in my drafts, could also have been called Cappuccino America or Bruise Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> spend more time coming up with coffee shop names.
0: Uh, than... <laughs> I, 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 want, I want every city to have a comic shop name, theme name, coffee shop. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Uh, yeah,
1: that'd be fun, right? Oh. Okay, so anyway, Alyssa is apprehensive because she assumes that Holden wants to try and win her back, so she immediately blurts out that she has a girlfriend. Holden smiles and tells her that while she will always have a special place in his heart, he really just wanted to talk. He tells her that he's done a lot of thinking and growing, and he apologizes for his actions a year ago and says that he really just wanted her to know that he was okay and make sure that she was okay too. They have a nice conversation, share a long hug, and each go on their way. And that's my day after.
0: Oh, I like that. I could see that happening because they were really good friends. To begin yeah. with, yeah.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, very nice. So,
1: thank you. All right, well, how about your immediate aftermath?
0: Okay, Holden hears a bankiers option, Bloodman and Connick for an animated series, while Alyssa is writing a novel that a few publishers are showing interest in. They're both doing well. Kevin has also been a surprise hit for Holden. It's not huge, but it's crossed over into the mainstream. He's working on volume two, which sees Kevin and his friends making a film in a shopping mall. <laughs> One day, there's a knock on the door, and it's Silent Bob. Holden is surprised to see him, but even more surprised to find that Jay is not with him. Bob has a proposition. He loves the Kevin comic and wants permission from Holden to make the film within the comic for real. (laughs) He's saved a lot of money from drug dealing and various things and he wants to make a film. Shop Assistance is just that film. Holden doesn't think too much of it, but gives his blessing anyway. Bob hugs him and pulls out a contract he'd had drawn up. Holden gets his friend Jason to read through it and they
1: both find it surprisingly fair, so Holden signs it. And that's my immediate aftermath. You know, it's been a while since we've gone really meta with one of our endings, but yours is like meta within meta. Right well, now, yeah, you know? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. No. it's like it's like a rabbit hole that we're going down. Here I was, I was
0: getting confused at some points. Writing it going, what well, if he just, uh, okay, right. yeah, it's like
1: Inception. It's like a Kevin Smith version of <laughs> Inception. Like That's it's it. the dream within the dream within the dream. Oh,
0: yeah. who writes? <laughs> who writes the writer? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. What if? What about your immediate aftermath?
1: All right. Well, Banky takes over writing as well as inking duties on Daredevil and Batman versus Superman, and both books become mega bestsellers, boosting him to comic superstardom overnight. Alyssa gets nominated for two Eisner Awards for her comic, and at the awards ceremony, she ends up at a table with Banky. Things start off icy, as the two never really liked each other, but as the evening rolls on, Banky and Alyssa get to drinking and talking, and the ice between them starts to thaw. Holden, in a good place but still feeling a bit restless, decides he wants to promote Chasing Amy in a bigger way. He self-publishes another run of 500 copies of Issue 1, and then he starts calling comic shops across the country. After a few days, he set up a tour that sees him starting in New York and going to California and hitting 30 comic shops in 30 days. He hits the road, and at each stop, he sells a few more copies of the book. He talks to the fans and connects with them, and word of mouth starts to spread. And a lot of the fans share their stories with him, which he makes notes on. By the end of the tour, he's sold out of all 500 copies and has a notebook full of ideas for new issues of the book. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, very good.
0: Yeah, seems all right.
1: All, seems all in keeping, the character.
0: Yeah, you, I yeah. tried. Yeah. I
1: tried. But I like what you're doing too, so let's see <laughs> let's see how far this rabbit hole goes. Okay. Yes, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> sorry, I know that's your
0: line, but I couldn't help. <laughs> <you>. No, it's <laughs> anyone can do the inception horn. There you go. <laughs> There's another t shirt. Anyone can do the inception <laughs> horn. <laughs> okay, my long term is uh the shop assistants movie is an indie hit. It ends up playing at Sundance and gets good word of mouth. Bob takes Holden with him. Up to Sundance, as he ended up working on the script. Holden is still writing Kevin, but he's also writing a new script about the film in a mall with Bob. He's also writing a screenplay with Jason. This one is about a young man who works in a college as a janitor, but he's also a genius. <laughs> they jokingly say that if it gets picked up, they could both star in it. <laughs> Holden has also started seeing a woman called Jennifer. She's another comic creator whose new story about a female spy who finds out the organization she's working for is actually up to no good. <laughs> it's early days, but Holden has a good feeling about it. Holden finds that he's actually happy. He heads off to meet with Bob, who's been babbling about a new movie idea, something about a mad scientist turning a man into a walrus. Oh, jeez. And that's,
1: uh, that's my after the ending for Chasing Amy. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, very very well done. Very. <laughs> I, I never would have thought of that. I like it. i <laughs> glad you liked it.
0: <laughs> yes, very much. Okay, what about yours, your
1: long term? What's happening right. with Holden? Okay, well, not just Holden. Oh, yeah, with everyone. Yeah, right. So over the next few years, Banky continues to dominate the mainstream comics world, writing and inking several best-selling series and becoming a fixture at the comic book conventions, where lines for his autographs are often several hours long. Alyssa continues to self-publish and win awards, taking home an Eisner or two nearly every year. She and Banky become good friends, and they get together whenever they're at the same convention for drinks and dinner. They spend most of their visits together getting drunk and laughing hysterically. Holden continues publishing Chasing Amy, telling people's stories, and it becomes sort of a forum where people send in their most personal tales, and Holden adapts the best ones to the comic book. It becomes extremely popular, and he makes his small-town comic store tour an annual event. A few years into the tour, Holden meets a girl named, ironically, Amy. They begin dating, and Holden falls for her pretty hard. As things are starting to get pretty serious, Amy tells Holden she needs to talk to him. She reveals to him that she went through a period in her early 20s where her life was a mess. She was addicted to drugs. (laughs) She slept around. She got into trouble with the law, even had a baby, which she gave up for adoption. She loves Holden and doesn't want to lose him, but she also wants him to know the truth about her background. Holden listens to her story, looks at her for a minute, and then shrugs and says, Hey, nobody's perfect. They laugh and kiss, and the final chapter of Holden's love life begins. Oh, very nice, thank you very much, yeah, nice ending. yeah, just wanted you know I wanted to show he's he's matured enough to you know not let somebody's past interfere yeah. with his feelings anymore, exactly because the past is the past that's right, that's right, which is you know sort of the, the message of the movie mm. so very nice. I had a really hard time with this one deciding if I wanted to get Holden and uh, Alyssa back together or not.
0: yeah, I wasn't sure whether to do that, so I just in the end, I just jettisoned the whole. Right I,
1: thought, right. I thought that. Uh, I thought
0: they burnt all the bridges. Right. I don't think they could ever recapture what they had.
1: Well, you know, when I was a younger man and this movie came out, I remember watching it and seeing at the end where you know he gives her the comic and she gets all emotional and stuff, and it says "I'm sorry," and I was convinced that they get back together. Mm-hmm. And then as I as I got you know, a little older, and I realized that not every movie has to have a happy ending, much as I love them and much as I'm a sucker for them. um, You know, I I, I sort of accepted the fact that they don't end up together and that that's okay, too. Um, So then when I was working on this, I was like, "Ah, now it kind of feels like a cheat if I end up getting them back together. You (laughs) know, I could have, I sort of went back and forth, but I ultimately decided they didn't need to be, um, and it would be okay, hence the reason that it ended the way it did. No, it worked very well. Thank you. All right, well, uh, I'm sure you have some chasing trivia for us, so why don't you share what you've come up with there?
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, one of uh, Banky's hecklers at the beginning of the film is played by Casey Affleck.
1: Oh, wow, that's funny. Yeah. Uh,
0: Holden and Banky are characters in J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye.
1: Right, I didn't realize that, but yeah.
0: Alyssa mentioned she let Shannon Hamilton videotape them having sex and broadcast it on college campus cable. Uh, ben Affleck played Shannon and Mallrats. That that I knew. <laughs> yeah, there's so lots well, of like always, the back of a Volkswagen. Yeah, there's there's loads of character references in in all of his films which mention it. It's often in passing, and you just you don't really notice them at first. With uh, Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams previously starred together in Dazed and Confused, mm-hmm. and the film was made for two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, and was one twenty fourth the budget of Mulrats Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, chasing Amy. Excellent. Yeah. If you've only seen uh, Kevin Smith's later films and you're not that fussed about them, it's well worth chasing this one down because it's, uh, it is a good little movie. Yeah. It's a nice story and it's uh, got some good moments in it, good dialogue. Yeah, I love
1: it. I have a special place in my heart for it, so I uh, I definitely recommend it to anybody who has not seen it yet. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a great movie. All right, then. Why don't we move on to our next film, which is Minority Report. Yes. And yes. Phil, you had the unenviable task of summarizing this movie, which I am actually almost more excited to hear how you boiled <laughs> this down than I am to hear your endings because oh. it's pretty complicated, so yeah uh, no I, I will mention cause I already mentioned it to you just before, but I will
0: mention to the listeners i was I had worked it down, so I was quite short, but as I was writing it, as you get further in, you realize you need to mention things that did happen earlier on. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. It's it's a complex, convoluted plot.
1: Yes, indeed. So if you haven't seen it, this is one of those occasions where you're probably going to want to watch it before you listen to this. Because just trying to follow along with what happens from our synopsis or from Phil's synopsis is probably going to be, uh, let's say, challenging. Yeah. (laughs) This is more of a refresher for people who have already seen the movie. Yeah. Okay. All right, Phil. Take it away. Dazzle us. Okay. Let me have a drink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Minority Report, 2002, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise. It's in 2054, Washington, D.C., where there's a pre-crime unit who stop murders before they happen, and the murder rate is zero. Predictions are made using three precogs who are mutated humans who can see the future. Pre-crime captain John Anderton, played by Tom Cruise, had a son disappear years before and is separated from his wife, Laura, played by Catherine Morris. While the department is being audited by Danny Witwer, played by Colin Farrell. The precogs predict Anderton will kill a man called Leo Crow in 36 hours. Anderton has no idea who that is. So Anderton goes on the run while Witwer pursues him. He ends up talking to the creator of the pre-crime technology. She says one of the precogs pla- called Agatha sometimes has a different vision from the other two, which is the minority report of the title. So Anderson goes to get that, as it might clear his name. Uh, and he ends up kidnapping Agatha from the pre-crime unit and it, Taking care means the pre-crime department can no longer work, but he finds that there is no minority report on Leo Crow. Instead, she shows images of the murder of a woman called Anne Lively, and the murder of Anne Lively took place in 2049. (sighs) Okay, where are we to Just take a breather. (laughs) You're doing Uh, good, Phil. remember,
1: it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Yes, that's true. (laughs) So, Anderton, sorted all out, clears his name, that's it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anderton and Agatha go to Crow's apartment and find photos of children, including Anderton's son. Crow arrives and Agatha tells Anderton he doesn't have to kill him, it's his choice. Crow begs to be killed, though, as he was hired to plant the photos and be killed in exchange for his own family's financial security. In the end, Crow grabs the gun and kills himself. Anderton and Agatha go to hide out at Laura's house. They find out that Anne Lively was actually Agatha's drug-addicted mum who sold Agatha to pre-crime. Lively got clean and wanted Agatha back when she was murdered. Anderton realises he's been framed as he knows about Lively. Whitworth, that's the uh, Colin Fowler character, thinks Anderton's being framed and reports it to Lamar Burgess... Played by Max von Sydow, who is the director and founder of Pre-Crimes, and Burgess kills Whitware with Anderton's gun. Meanwhile, Laura calls Burgess about Anderton, and Anderton is caught. He is charged and put in prison. And in this prison, convicts are put in a deep sleep, and the warden says all your dreams will come true before Anderton goes under. Agatha's back in Pre-Crime, and the system works again. Burgess lets slip to Laura that he end up, he killed Lively. She frees Anderton, who confronts Burgess at a banquet and plays Agatha's vision of Burgess murdering Lively. Almost done. Uh, pre-crime predicts Burgess will kill Anderton. Burgess explains that he c- couldn't let Agatha go as pre-crime will be affected. But if Burgess kills Anderton, he'll be jailed, but pre-crime is validated. If he spares Anderton, pre-crime will be discredited. Once people are aware of the future, they can change it, so Burgess ends up shooting himself. Pre-crime is shut down, all prisoners are pardoned, and Anderton and Lara are going to have a new child, and the pre are sent to an island to live in peace. <sighs> Well well done, sir. Well done. I applaud you for tackling that. I know, and I'm sorry to all listeners for being so in-depth, but there's, you sort of need to know, because otherwise lots of it doesn't make any sense. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Nicely done. Thank you. Okay, then, so that's, uh, that was the long-winded rundown of Minority Report. If you've seen it, though, you will know that there's a lot going on there. I didn't mention any of the you know floating cars and stuff like that, and the right. Vomit Gun quite like that right. but anyway uh, what have you got for your day after
1: all right well john and laura move back in together and prepare for the child that will be coming into their lives with the pre-crime unit shut down the police departments are in a bit of turmoil as they suddenly find themselves having to solve real crimes again <laughs> anderton is appointed to a special commissioner job based on his success in solving ann lively's murder and exposing burgess as a murderer with his new role to be training police how to investigate again As politicians try to push new technologies to the forefront of law enforcement, Anderton begins to become a major opponent of the over-technolization – I know it's not really a word, but I'm making it one now (laughs) – It is now. Yeah, yeah, of law enforcement. He fights against and defeats bills that try to introduce tech-driven incentives, such as the RoboCop Initiative, the (laughs) Replicant Program, the T-100 Enforcer Prototype, the NS5 Humanoid Enterprise, the Chappie Rollout, and the California Cryo Penitentiary Plan. Meanwhile, the precogs are living peacefully on their island when suddenly all three of them are struck by a more powerful vision than they've ever had before a vision of America being destroyed. Ooh. And that's my day after.
0: Oh, Very good. So uh, I like the way Anderton saved the world from all those, you know, all that technology.
1: Yeah, technology, yeah. man. It's, it's uh, apparently, according to the movies, te- technology is no good. Yeah, you don't want tech.
0: What's, uh, what no. was NS5? That's, familiar. that's I from
1: uh, iRobot.
0: Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I yeah, knew I knew it. I knew it.
1: I had to figure out throwing one or two obscure ones there. Yeah. You know. Okay, no very good. I
0: like that though. You could yeah. Couldn't, thank you. It's only Robocop that they wish
1: they'd had. Well, you know, I know, but, yeah. but you got to I'd cut them it all. There, yeah, fit my theme. It fit my theme. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Phil. How about your day after? Okay, my day after. It is five years later,
0: and Anderton is released from prison. The warden was right. All his dreams did come true, but it was just that dreams. None of the events that happened after he was put in prison were real. It was just all in his head. However, before Whitworth had been shot. He'd put together a file on his thoughts and the possible framing of Anderton. The report had sat unnoticed on a server until a new pre-crimes officer came across it. The resultant investigation uncovered Burgess's deception and his murder of Unlively. The pre-crime unit was shut down, and all prisoners, including Anderton, were released. Burgess was given a life sentence. Anderton, while initially very confused, gradually separates the dreams from reality.
1: Ooh, I like that. I like that twist. I didn't see that coming. Oh, I
0: just always thought that was a bit when the prison guy yeah. says, you know, all well, your dreams come true. Right. Anything where they end up, you know, in the future where they end up getting put under. Right. you got to start questioning the reality of things. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. a good. That's good. I hadn't thought about that. I like oh, it. Thank you. What mm. about then your immediate aftermath?
1: All right. Well, Agatha reaches out to Anderton with a communication device that he gave her before she left, just in case she needed anything. She tells John about the vision. She also tells him that she saw a name with her vision, John Bauer, but she didn't know how it was connected. Anderton jumps into motion and starts tracking Bauer down. He knows the name, but he can't place it right away. But it only takes a second or two of research for him to realize where he knows it from. He's a top agent at the NSA. Unsure of how Bauer is involved and less trustworthy of other government officials than he used to be, thanks to what happened with Burgess, Anderton decides to confront Bauer at his home. That night, as Bauer returns home from work, he turns on the light and finds Anderton sitting in a living room chair with a gun trained on him. Anderton interrogates Bauer, but his cop instincts tell him that Bauer is not the bad guy here. He fills him in on what brought him there, and the two decide to work together to thwart the upcoming disaster. Bauer reveals that his bosses at the NSA have a new program in development, but it's ultra-top-secret black book stuff. Bauer's not even supposed to know about it. The program is called the Time Cop Initiative. <laughs> awesome and that's where we'll leave it for now oh cool so I one more future tech cop movie to throw in there <laughs> I couldn't resist I do like the Time Cop film I like Time Cop too yeah. actually it's my favourite Van Damme film it's, yeah I it's I really it's his best well be one mine one. as well yeah. yeah it's a good, good flick alright well how about your immediate aftermath then okay
0: uh, yeah Anderton has tracked down Lara but she's with someone else and has another child Anderton is heartbroken but he is a good man so wishes her well he ends up getting a good payout due to his false imprisonment and invests in a small house and a new business, a private detective agency. It's something he's good at and something he can control. His first case track down Agatha and the precogs as they seem to have disappeared from the face of the earth. And That's my immediate aftermath.
1: Very cool. I, I like where it's going. I'm curious to see what, uh, what, what, where it all comes together. Mm, well, that's just it. Will it come together? I'm sure it will.
0: <laughs> okay, what's happening then with you and the Time Cop Initiative?
1: All right, well, Bauer reveals that the Time Cop Initiative involves time traveling to the past to prevent major crimes. Bauer and Anderton realize that the technology puts too much power in people's hands and that it has to be shut down, as it is likely the cause of the destruction of America. They sneak into the Time Cop facility late at night and set to work sabotaging everything. They destroy all the data and research and work on destroying the time machine itself. They set a number of explosives and are about to leave when a security guard stumbles on the scene. Bauer and Anderton are unwilling to sacrifice an innocent life, so they force him out of the time machine room. So they force him out of the time machine room and close the protective blast doors. They're trapped when the explosions go off, destroying the time machine in a massive explosion. Rather than being killed, however, Anderton and Bauer find themselves drawn into a time vortex. They wake up in the same building, but now it's just an empty warehouse. They recover and make their way outside and take stock of their whereabouts. They soon realize that they've been transported back in time to 1990. Recognizing that they're stranded in the past, they realize that they have to create new lives. John Bauer changes his name to Jack and returns <laughs> to law enforcement right away, enlisting in the government's counter-terrorism unit, or CTU. Anderton decides to put his skills to use in the same way. He adopts the first and middle names of his unborn son, Ethan Hunt Anderton, and joins the CIA, where he is quickly recruited by the Impossible Missions Force. With their knowledge of future events and their lifetimes of training, Jack Bauer and Ethan Hunt go on to save the world several times over. And that's the end. Oh, excellent. Thanks. That would explain how Jack and Ethan... Can do what they do well that's what i figured right yeah, they're, yeah. they're not quite superhuman but they are definitely a little bit more you know dialed yeah. in than the regular guys. so i think yeah. it's because they you know they have this future knowledge and they've they've been highly trained in the future so they know they know their stuff oh brilliant i like that thanks i had fun with it yeah, yeah very good okay well phil i am anxious to hear then how yours wraps up so bring it all home for us okay the hunts for the precogs continues well it did it's on the back burner now
0: the trail had gone cold, so Anderton had to take other cases, and he's quite successful. There are no special standout cases, but they are they keep him interested. He occasionally has nightmares though. Sometimes he feels he is still asleep in the prison, and as another way he's running around a deserted New York City. <laughs> While on a standard follow my husband to see if he's cheating on me case, Anderton gets a lead on the precogs. They have gone, or were taken, off planet to Mars. Anderton buys a ticket and heads to the red planet. He tracks them down to a major casino and learns that they've been bought and sold a number of times as they were just classed as property. They now predict sports results for a major crime family and also tell them when the police are on the way. This crime family have been buying and kidnapping various mutants to aid their campaign of crime. The trouble is though, Anderton has to make a plan. The precogs will know he's coming. He will have to make it past an army of robots, monsters and criminals, avoid and disable a high-tech detection and alarm system and outwit an AI which controls it and then make it off planet with the precogs. Anderson puts together a small team of operatives, and then tells them the plan. <laughs> it will definitely be a mission of utmost difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. After the end, <laughs> very
1: nice. So a little, a little, uh, you know, crossover there. We had. We both had the, yeah. kind of uh, similar ideas. I think it was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of. That's great. Uh, I like it though. That's fun. Nice. I like how you went in a very sci-fi direction. Actually, I just thought we'd just keep on going. Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right. Well, Phil, why don't you share with us your trivia report then about Minority Report? Okay. The precogs were named after famous mystery
0: writers. There was Dashiell Hammett, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, and Agatha Christie. Right. Uh, Cruz and Spielberg waived their usual fee to keep the budget under $100 million, but they took 15% of the film's gross instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this bit I didn't know until after I'd written my ending. An adapt- adaptation of the original short story was planned as a sequel to Total Recall. Oh, that's fun. The precogs were mutated Martians. Uh, the police hovership was nicknamed a dispenser, as it looked like a Pez dispenser. Uh, Colin Farrell had trouble delivering the following line. I'm sure you all understand the legalistic drawback of precrime precar- methodology. Damn, I almost made it. Anyway... Uh, <laughs>
1: Now you know why why you're in trouble with it.
0: Yeah. Sound designer Gary Rydstrom said the sounds of the Maglev car system were made from the sounds of his own washing machine. And when Whitworth asks how much time do they have until Anderton commits the murder, the precog says 51 minutes, 30 seconds, which is how long is left in the film before the credits roll.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I like it when they do stuff like that.
1: Right, right. Mm. I do too. That's fun. All right. Well, there you go. So that is Minority Report as well as Chasing Amy. Those are our endings. Hopefully you enjoyed them. But for now, why don't we move on to our Mighty Morphing mini feature? Phil, why don't you tell people what we are talking about today?
0: Yeah, last week we did our top 10 films of 2016. So for this mini feature, we thought we'd pick out just a few of the films that we're both looking forward to seeing in 2017. And this mini feature we like to call Future Film Forecast.
1: Right, nice little tie-in with the Minority Report there, so... Uh, yes, so let's uh, let's talk about then what films we're looking forward to in two thousand seventeen. Okay, well let's just
0: what we'll do is we'll get out the way of the films like Star Wars Episode Eight, uh, well it's Spider Man Homecoming and and the other comic book movies like Guardians of the Galaxy Two and Thor Ragnarok.
1: Yeah, and Justice League and Wonder Woman. I kept just, all those and Logan kept them all yeah. off my list.
0: Yeah, so there's all them because we're big comic book fans anyway. Uh, So we're looking forward to all of them, but let's get into a few more different films. Do you want to go first?
1: Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, the first one that I am looking forward to, uh, and I'm going in chronological order here, it comes out on March 10th, and it is Kong Skull Island. Um, which is admittedly, obviously, I mean, all of my picks are pretty big films. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, what it boils down to is simply that I am a huge King Kong fan. Um, I I grew up watching the, the 70s version on TV, and I, I love it even though it's cheesy. Uh, as an adult, I, I revisited the original King Kong from 1933. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I think the, the, the Peter Jackson version is spectacular to look at, but ultimately was disappointing for me as a film yeah i feel like the same with that one yeah so this to me is like you know it's just another chance to see king kong on the big screen the, you know the first trailer is exciting tom hiddleston is in it and he's great and I, i'm just really looking forward to seeing if somebody else can make a, a king kong movie that i feel kind of gets it right because to my mind still the only truly great king kong movie is the original from 1933 which i just think is absolutely amazing so that is the first film of 2017 that i am really excited about and I agree with everything you've just said about that film. I'm looking forward to that one as well. Very
0: good. Uh, yeah, The first one I'm, I'm looking forward to is out next month, and that is John Wick Chapter 2. It's mm-hmm. the Keanu Reeves sequel to the uh, surprise hit, John Wick. Uh, this time it's uh, he's, he's back, he's got a new dog, and he's going to be doing lots of kicking ass, shooting people, being cool. Uh, it's got a. I really like the first film. I just love the whole the whole story, the whole coolness with Keanu, this sort of otherworldliness of the uh, the Assassins Hotel and things like that. I'm paying for everything in gold. I'm looking forward to revisiting that world again. He's also got uh, Ian McShane back, and also there's going to be a bit of a Matrix uh, get together again because Lawrence Fishburne's in this new one, and we have got the likes of Ruby Rose, Franco Nero, Bridget moynihan uh, who else is in there? Peter Stormare, Peter Sarafinovich, John Leguizamo, on Common. So I'm just, uh, i just looking forward to this one. I do like a good action film, and if it's half as good as the first John Wick, it's, uh, it's going to be one to watch.
1: Yeah, I just saw the trailer for this one, and I'm I'm really excited about it as well. It almost made my list, but you know this could have been a really really long list, so I yeah, <laughs> I, yeah gosh, I kept yeah, them down a bit. But uh, some good but films coming out. To that. Yep, I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. Okay, what about your next one? All right, well my next movie comes out on April 8th, and it is The Fate of the Furious, which is of course the <laughs> eighth chapter in the Fast and the Furious saga. Uh, and as I've said before on the show, I am an unabashed fan of this franchise. Uh, I really love these movies, and I I love the last you know two or three of them and how they've got become just these big bombastic crazy over-the-top action movies with this really cheesy kind of center of this whole you know family and you know things like that um it's great they, they're movies that know exactly what they are and that's what i love about them um and they're just so much fun to go see in the theaters I, I i love them and i'm not ashamed to admit it so i'm i'm really looking forward to it they're they're kind of events for me when they're in the theaters i'm, I'm you know i'm there yeah, I,
0: I I just like now with those films the fact they just they don't give a damn about you know actual logic or things like that they just go for what's right. going to look good exactly on the logic and yeah.
1: physics go out the door yeah. you know? yeah. uh, but that's what I love about them you know they're yeah. not trying to be anything more than what they are they know I think that actually since Fast Five came out um, that that has been one of the most intuitive franchises out there in that you know they. They know exactly what kind of movie they're making. They have no pretense about it whatsoever. And they know that people love this mixture of ridiculously over-the-top stunts with this whole, you know, we're family, family is bond, hugs and songs and slow motion montages and stuff. Like it's a weird mix because it doesn't – is isn't something that you see very well. But that's the reason they've become such humongous minute moneymakers is because people really like that that combination. You know, Yeah. And, so.
0: and it looks like though this next one, they've sort of turned that on ahead a bit. With it, oh, even- yeah
1: vin diesel going bad yeah yeah should be interesting I but what
0: i like as well is uh it's basically whoever they go up against in the next film they're going to be on the on their side right it right to be the way go but... yeah yeah it's always fun yeah. I've, I've never been a huge fan of the films but i always enjoy watching them when they're on because they are they are lots of silly fun
1: right so, exactly
0: yeah. no good so, pick all right okay my uh next one is uh out in march it's called the love witch it's a bit of a more indie film uh comedy horror kind of thing but it's about a modern day witch who uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her and it's an attribute to 1960s pulp novels and technical and melodrama so it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek it's all like you know brash colors on screen lots of blood and things and she ends up she casts a spell uh, uh, alan who writes for me on Liver for films he saw it at this year's fright fest and he loved it and it's just uh it just sounds like a lot of fun uh, she ends up having to kill the people who fall in love with her because she can't break the spell and she's never happy with them because they're too possessive and things like that. But it's uh, it looks like a small little indie film which could be hopefully breakthrough to uh, mainstream. But it's right. uh, written and directed by Anna Villa and stars Samantha Robinson. So I like to look at that.
1: Yeah, it sounds like fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and what's your next one?
1: My next one comes out on May 26th, and it is the Baywatch movie. <laughs> um, and uh, you know what? It's it's speaking of films like that. Know what they are? You know the the Baywatch. From everything I've seen about the early reports, you know it's got The Rock and it's got Zac Efron, both of whom I'm big fans of, especially The Rock. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the fact that it's you know it's very clearly setting up to be this big budget sort of action comedy type of movie like it, it knows you know it's not trying to play it straight laced and serious you know it's going to have the humor and it knows that Baywatch is cheesy and I, I love that idea you know that they're going to take yeah, this, yeah. this TV show that was so popular and you know there's going to be a ton of in jokes and kind of making fun of the TV show and stuff and you know but yet The Rock is going to be in it and you know it's going to be big budget I'm sure the, the action scenes will be spectacular so um, I'm, I'm really hoping that they can pull it off and make it what I, what I think it's going to be so fingers crossed but it looks like it'll be a lot of fun
0: yeah look does look like a uh, cheesy fun which is what baywatch always was
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah But so i i like i like everybody involved yeah it's definitely going to be one to watch anyway just to see what it's like okay uh my next one is well this one could be absolutely dreadful but it just intrigued me so much uh it's a, like a big blockbuster disaster movie it's uh, going to be directed by dean devlin who up until now a writer and producer he did uh you know was Independence Day and yeah he's all with Roland Emmerich yeah, there Roland Emmerich yeah. things but looks like he's he's having a crack behind the camera and this one stars Gerald Butler Abby Cornish Jim Sturgis, Ed Harris, and Andy Garcia it's so it's called this one is called GeoStorm ah, so this, yeah so a name cool. like that it sounds like a basically like an airport novel you pick up before you go in on holiday right but this one the idea behind it is a man heads into space to prevent climate controlling satellites from creating a storm of epic proportions Meanwhile, his brother discovers a plot to assassinate the president. Oh, wow.
1: That does <laughs> so, sound...
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's take two totally wildly divergent plots and smash them together.
1: Right. Right. So, exactly. So I this, have to say that does sound like my kind of movie.
0: Yeah, it's, me too. It sounds like it could be an absolute train wreck. Right. Right. Exactly. But I imagine it's going to have quite a bit of money behind it. So I think it's going to look... There's going to be some large-scale destruction. Right. And as also the president is going to be, you know, almost assassinated... Right, Which, right. Ger- Gerard Butler's good at uh, being involved in that kind of thing. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, Geostorm. Yeah,
1: no, I like it. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, well, my last pick then uh, comes out on June 10th or 16th. I can't tell from my own handwriting, but it comes out in June, and it is going to come as a surprise to very few people who have listened to this podcast before, but it is Cars 3. <laughs> um and uh Yeah, I had a feeling it might be that one. You know, listen, I love I, you know what a big fan of cars I am. Yeah. Um and yeah. I, I you know, it's been a while since Pixar has made a film that I've really loved. And this one there have you seen the teaser trailer for it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You it's, know, it's uh, a very... it's actually I find it a bit more interesting than
0: uh well, especially cars too, but I find it a bit more interesting out of all out of all the other two
1: films. Right. Well, you know, the the trailer is very short, and it just shows Lightning McQueen kind of getting in like an accident in slow motion. It looks beautiful, um, and you know, from what I've read about the film, it, it sees Lightning um, getting it, it, getting back into the racing world more. The the second movie obviously diverted, and and I, I like the second movie for what it is. Um, it's grown yeah. on me over the years, but it's not a worthy sequel necessarily to the greatness of Cars. I always
0: felt this, I always felt like uh, Cars Two is more like a directed DVD kind of sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of films.
1: Um, exactly so this one seems to be getting back to kind of the the basics if you will the root of what made cars so great and it's going to focus on the racing world again and Lightning McQueen I think it's kind of taking the Doc Hudson role where he gets injured and maybe has to kind of come back and fight his way kind of a classic sports story you know yeah, yeah. And I think the trailer looks amazing. And uh, I was really annoyed when people laughed at it in the movie theaters when I was uh, watching Rogue One. Um, we will not discuss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept my mouth shut, but it, it took a lot. Don't um, cars! Well, you know, it's 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 a fairly dramatic trailer, and I think that that's true. People, it is, yeah. Yeah. You know, because people don't respect cars the way that they should, um, it, it. You know, I think people see it as as silly. But as f- for somebody who's invested in those characters. Yeah. Like I am? Yeah. It's not silly at all. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" You know, to Lightning McQueen. I mean, it's, you know, so it, it I know it affects people differently, but I am very much looking forward to it and I'm hoping that it returns to the greatness of the original cars. And for all of you out there who don't like cars, I will just say it one more time, you're wrong. Someday you'll understand. Okay. Yeah. Rant over. Okay.
0: No, I'll give you that. I'm not uh, I'll probably take Hannah to see it. It's uh, it's not one I'm desperate to see, but as I say, it's uh, it's grabbed me more than the, the teaser trailer has grabbed me more than the other two films
1: did. There you go. Yep. Excellent.
0: And I've just got my last one is actually two films because I'm just curious to see what they're going to be like on the big screen because sure. there's lots of potential for them to go wrong. I won't go into too much detail, but it's the Power Rangers movie.
1: Yeah, that almost made my list. Yeah, because some of the the,
0: the images I've seen uh, have intrigued me. Yep. And I, I, I quite like the idea of Elizabeth Banks as Rita Repulsa. She also, <laughs> yeah. She looks like she could be used to be a ranger and it's right. all being turned on the head. And the other film is Ghost in the Shell, the live action adaptation with uh, yeah, Scarlett right. Johansson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that could either be amazing. I think it's going to look amazing no matter what, but it's Crash and Burn. Yes, agreed. But, uh, yeah, those two. And lots of other ones I am curious to see. Alien Covenant, Blade, The New Blade Runner 1, stuff like that. But Sure. There we yeah,
1: go. Lots, of, lots of, I mean, really a lot of exciting movies. Mm. coming. Like I said, this could have been a whole episode, frankly. But uh, yeah. we thought we'd kind of just pick out a few highlights there. So, as, as con- you know, as sort of uh, set to our personal tastes, if you will. Yeah, yeah. H- hence Cars 3.
0: But <laughs> if, uh, if you out there want to let us know what films you're looking forward to this year, uh, you can le- let us know on our
1: Twitter account and Facebook. Indeed, you can. Okay, well then, let's move on to our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we revisit a year from the past 100 years of film and we share our top 10 movies. This week we are doing 1922. Phil, why don't you climb into your famous Phil's time machine there and tell us what was going on in the world almost 100 years ago? I certainly will. It's funny, my time machine looks like an office chair. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, listen, yeah. microtechnology, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot easier nowadays yeah. than it used to be. It was
0: a DeLorean, but that didn't get, get very good mileage. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1922, uh, the British Prime Minister, it was a crossover year. It was uh, David Lloyd George and then followed by Bernard Law. And then uh, the president of America was Warren G. Harding. And some of the events that went on in that year, we had the first successful insulin treatment of diabetes. Ulysses by James Joyce was published. Uh, President Harding introduced the first radio to the White House. The construction of Yankee Stadium began in the Bronx. The Lincoln Memorial was dedicated. The Hollywood Bowl opened. The British Broadcasting Company, or BBC, was formed. Cool. Yeah. The National Fascist Party in Benito Mussolini took power in Italy. Not so cool. No. Uh, But the Russian Civil War ended. Uh, The Barbary Lion, the Amir Tiger, and the California Grizzly Bear sadly became extinct. Mm. And Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon entered Tutankhamun's tomb Mm, for the first time in a long, long time. Yes, yes, indeed. And we also had the births of some very famous people. We've got Betty White, Telly Savalas, Paul Schofield, Dick Martin, Patrick McNee, Hattie Jakes, Sid Sharice, Carl Reiner, Pasolini, Russ Meyer, Charlie Mingus, B. Arthur, Christopher Lee, Denham Elliott, Judy Garland, Sheila Sim, Pierre Cardin, Jason Robards, Blake Edwards, Yvonne DeCarlo, Sid Caesar... Veronica Lake, Ava Gardner, and Stan Lee.
1: Very nice. Oh, yes. Some real luminaries there. Yes, yeah, some sure. big, big names. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into our films now. As this, uh, as we have done in previous years, where the, it reaches back into the earliest days of film. Um, I'm not. I don't know about you, Phil, but I know that I have actually only seen two films from the year 1922. So the the top the the other eight will be films that I want to see that I think sound uh, the best from 1922. How about you?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, there's there's two I know I've definitely seen. There was a few when I was reading them. I think I may may have seen, but I didn't want to say for
1: definite. But uh, right,
0: right. But yeah, some. Uh, but there's lots of interesting films that are. I like the look of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A A lot of things I'm
1: definitely interested in tracking down. So, um, well, why don't you just kick things off then? Give us your number 10.
0: Okay. My uh, number 10 is a film called Cocaine, which is a British crime film directed by Graham Cutts, and it shows the distribution of cocaine by gangsters through a series of London nightclubs, and the revenge sought by a man after the death of his daughter. And uh, what lots of people forget is that these old black-and-white films, lots of them are quite dark and you know violent and sexy and dealt with some taboo kind of subjects, and that was because it was pre-code. So they could get away with lots of things, and this sounds like a cracking one just to take a look at because it, it's uh, dealing with dark things. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, liked, I do like the sound of that one. Very good.
1: Well, my number ten is a British crime film called Cocaine. Hey, so, <laughs> how do you like that? Excellent. Uh, mostly because I didn't even know Cocaine existed in 1922. Like, I'm not even saying that as a joke. Like, I always yeah. thought of Cocaine as being like one of those things. Like, I knew it got big in the 80s, so I just assumed it kind of got created in like the 70s. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah. But didn't they use and Cocaine then, like,
0: originally in Coca-Cola when it first came out? Well,
1: that's true. I did. Yeah. I knew they. I knew that too. Actually, you know, I guess I did know that. But I just one of those things when I saw a film called Cocaine, yeah. it just didn't yeah. seem like a very 1920s. Film name, you know what I mean? Oh, I must, I must I admit, like, yeah, because it, it jumped out to me from the list when I saw Cocaine. I was going, "Hmm, that's right. it. Has somebody messed up." But yeah, right, right, exactly. So I, I thought the same thing. That sounds very intriguing, and uh, I'm curious to check it out. So that's my number ten. So we we started off serendipitously.
0: Yes, we have. Okay, well, my number nine. That's maybe it's yours as well. Don't know. My this one is Doctor Mabuse, the Gambler, which was the first film in Doctor Mabuse series uh, from the novels of Norbert Jacks, and this one's directed by Fritz Lang. And it just it was actually four and a half hours long and was divided into two parts. And it follows uh, Dr. Mabuse, who's a criminal mastermind, doctor of psychology and master of disguise, and he has the powers of hypnosis and mind control. And he's deals with lots of various crimes going on. He's got various dodgy henchmen. One of them's a cocaine addicted man servant. It just sounds it just sounds like it'd be a mad film with lots of bizarre things going on. And Fritz Lang does amazing visuals, as you know, you see in Metropolis. So it's just four and a half hours long. You just, if you love film, you've got to you've got to at least watch
1: it. It's not my number nine, but I, I think there may be some overlap on our lists. <laughs> this Ooh, week, so. okay, cool. All right. Well, my number nine is a film called Flesh and Blood, which stars Lon Chaney, the great Lon Chaney, and uh, I just like the concept of it, where a man escapes from prison and then finds that his daughter. Fifty. Sorry. Uh, I just like the concept of it where a man spends 15 years in prison, then escapes and finds that his daughter is engaged to the crook who framed him. I mean, that's just kind of a simple log line right there, but Mm. it sounds like a great plot, so I want to see it, and and Lon Chaney is terrific, so sounds like a good one. It certainly does.
0: Okay, my number
1: eight. uh, Mine is called uh, or Hexen,
0: which is a Swedish-Danish documentary-style silent horror film, and if you need to know anything more, you mean... What's wrong with you? Right. It just sounds amazing. It's based on the uh uh basically how superstition basically like the witch hunting things for happening in Salem, that kind of thing, how superstition and the misunderstanding of diseases and mental illnesses could lead to hysteria of the witch hunts. I just like to find it's it was made as a documentary, but has dramatised sequences that are, you know, could be something out of a horror film and I just that's I really like the sound of that. I would something I want to check out.
1: Right. That sounds yeah. cool.
0: Very intriguing. Very
1: yeah. Yeah. All right, well, my number eight is The Ghost Breaker, starring Wallace Reed, and it is kind of a horror comedy. It's sort of a, like a 1922 version of Ghostbusters. It's in that vein, um, based, I believe, on a book, and it was made into a movie several different times in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I think, up until then, and then it sort of went away for a while. I'm not saying Ghostbusters is taken from that, but I, I think it sort of has a similar uh, spirit, if you will, no pun intended, um, <laughs> To it. So uh, it sounded interesting, and I kind of like that hybrid of horror and comedy. I'm curious to see what it was like back in the 20s. Oh,
0: excellent. Yeah, I didn't see that one when I was going through my list. That sounds good, though. Yeah. Okay, my uh, number seven is a film called The Primitive Lover. Mm. It wasn't really mainly the the actual film itself, but it was, I was just, uh, it jumped out because it stars Harrison Ford. What? Yeah, no, that that was what I I was going, what? (laughs) But it turns out our Harrison Ford wasn't the first Harrison Ford. Really? This which was I never knew this one as an American stage and film actor and who's a big star apparently back in the uh, on Broadway and in the silent films. He was born in eighteen eighty four and died in nineteen fifty seven. Huh. And just the fact that this the primitive lover put me on to the re, you know, that there was another Harrison Ford Yeah, right. similar right, sure. list. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm like gonna it. I wanna try and see some of his films. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, he's he's also apparently he's got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Really? But how do we know it's not for our Harrison Ford? Right, right exactly.
1: Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, but apparently he's no known relation to uh, Han Solo. Okay. Okay.
1: What have you got for your number seven? All right. My number seven is a movie called A Blind Bargain. It once again stars Lon Chaney and is about a man who uh, is desperate to save his ailing mother. So he uh, approaches a doctor who conducts questionable experiments um, and the doctor tells him he will cure his mother. um, But in eight days, he must give himself over to the doctor for some of said experiments. And there is clearly a island of Dr. Moreau slash Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Hyde type of thing going on. Um, And it sounds really really creepy and kind of disturbing at times, but also really intriguing. Um, so I am uh, I'm very curious to check it out.
0: Yeah, it does sound like a good one. You find, though, lots of these, the, you start looking at the, these older films, and you realize lots of the more recent films do have lots of similar stories. Oh, you, sure. Yeah. You forget that uh, not much is new these days. That's right. But, yeah. That's right. Okay, well, my number six, speaking of not new, but my number six is Sherlock Holmes, which was apparently released as Moriarty here in the UK. Uh, this was The Silent film all about sherlock holmes who was played by john barrymore and roland young played john watson well it's it's sherlock holmes i love sherlock holmes in um, pretty much every different you know iteration of him right absolutely yeah. this one as well it was one of those lost f- films because it was a there was a fire in the 1967 in MGM, but it was rediscovered in the mid 70s and has been restored so hopefully we'll be able to track that one down
1: yeah for sure yeah. Good choice. All right. Well, my number six is Doctor Mabuse uh, by Fritz Lang, which you hey. mentioned already on your list. Uh, yeah. Like you said, you know, kind of this big epic sort of criminal gangster psychopath type thing. Uh, very well known film in in film circles. I've never had the chance to see it, but I do like uh, Fritz Lang very much. Uh, like you said, he's he's brilliant visually speaking. And yeah. uh, curious to check it out and and check that one off my list of classics I have not yet seen. Yeah, that's just definitely be some uh, cool things in there?
0: Okay, my number five. Is uh, what could be the very first feature-length documentary, but there's uh, apparently some of it was staged. But anyway, this one is Nanook of the North, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Robert J. Robert J. Flaherty. Uh, it's all about uh, Nanook and his family and uh, how they survived in the Canadian Arctic. It was uh, it showed you know how they travelled, hunted for food and traded in northern Canada, and it just uh, you know it's a harsh environment and it was back then people around the world wouldn't have had a chance to see much of that so something like this would help educate uh, the masses as it were but i do like uh i do like the sound of this one
1: yeah for sure yeah good choice all right well my number five is a tie between dr jack and grandma's boy which are two harold lloyd films and we've talked about him in some yeah, one of the yeah, previous episodes yeah. a great silent comedian that i'm a big fan of and these were two of his first feature-length films that really shot him to stardom and made him kind of the big star that he was um and so because of that i couldn't decide between the two of them so i just tied them and put them both on my list but i love harold lloyd and always looking forward to seeing more of his films
0: Excellent, yeah. I love how Lloyd. Uh, none of his films are made my list, but I think I've probably seen most of them because they used to show them all on BBC2 when I was a kid. But it's right. yeah, always worth checking out, as we've said many times yep. before. Okay, Definitely. my number four. My number four is a film called Manslaughter, directed by Cecil B. DeMille. And that's one of the main reasons I want to see it, because I like his work. It's all about a wild, wealthy woman played by Latrice Joy, who's brought to heel by a sermonising district attorney after she accidentally hits and kills a motorcycle cop. Uh, it's also famous, apparently, for an orgy scene, but that had no bearing on why I wanted to see it. <laughs> no. Se- seriously, time. though, no, I like Cecil B. DeMille, and it uh, sounds like it could be
1: some good uh, good acting involved. And it puts a whole different frame of mind on that that famous quote, you know, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Yeah, yeah. You know, thinking about that really, really oh changes God, how, you, yeah. how you hear
0: that. <laughs> oh, my God, that's... Ch- yeah, that's totally changed that film for me. You'll
1: never hear that line <laughs> in the same way, will you? Yeah. Okay, moving on. Yes, right. quickly. Well, my number four is a pretty famous film that I, I actually thought maybe I had seen, but uh, I couldn't quite recall if I had seen it or if I just was thinking I'd seen it. So yeah. I put it under my list as, as movies I want to see. It's the original Robin Hood, starring Douglas Fairbanks Sr. Uh, and Wallace Beery. Um, I love Robin Hood. You know, I've seen I've seen the classic with... with uh, uh, Errol Flynn, um, and, you know, the 1938 version. And like I said, I think maybe I've seen this one, but I can't remember for sure. Uh, but if I haven't, I definitely want to because I always enjoy Robin Hood tales and uh, seeing a classic one with a great actor like Douglas Fairbanks sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that almost made my list because I do like Robin Hood, but it uh, didn't make it. I, I like you. I'm not sure whether I've already seen it as well. Right, right. Okay. But my number three is one that's been on your list already. That's Flesh and Blood. Ah, so very good. shiny one uh same reasons as you it's uh the fact the guy's been in prison for 15 years and escapes to see his daughter but she's engaged to the son of the crook who found him which uh to me it sounds a lot like old boy
1: i was gonna say it definitely yeah. seems like it has a little touch of the old boy going there or right? old boy has a touch of flesh and blood should we say well right exactly exactly
0: but uh yeah lon cheney's always good and it's uh yeah i think i think visually as well this could be quite interesting because it says uh lots of it was set in chinatown in san francisco right and they, used to, they did do quite a bit of on-location filming back in the day,
1: didn't they, as well as the studio stuff. So, Yep. yep. So that was my number three. Very good. Excellent. Well, my number three is, has appeared on your list, and it is Sherlock Holmes, which stars John Barrymore. Uh, much like you said, you know, um, I'm, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. I have always have been. I love to see him on screen, always looking to see a new version I've never seen before. And also, interestingly, was the film debut of William Powell. Uh, which I did not know. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing a younger William Powell, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But you know, he was a pretty big name back in Hollywood in the thirties and or in the forties and fifties, and so uh that sounds intriguing to me. Definitely, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, now I'm on to the films that I've I know I've definitely seen. My number two is The Pale Face, which stars Buster Keaton. It's the Western comedy one. When it's Buster Keaton, he does he doesn't I just amazes me the stunts he does for the, the, the comedy, the slapstick. It just it's on another level compared to lots of other actors at the time uh this one as you say though it's a western so it's good seeing him in that environment it's very funny uh probably not as pc these days but it's a buster keaton film and it's a it's a good one
1: yeah you know that actually almost made my list and i'm not sure why it didn't i may have overlooked it because it did sound very funny and uh, i i would definitely want to check that one out so Good choice.
0: Thank you. And what about, uh, so are we into yours that you've seen now?
1: Yes, my top two, I have seen both of these. And I, I have a suspicion our number one may be the same, but we'll see. My <laughs> yeah. number two, though, has appeared on your list and is a movie that I have seen. It is The Nook of the North. Ah, oh, okay, brilliant. Which is an interesting film uh, in respect to, uh, it's interesting just to see this documentary from the 1920s, but it does have this whole, like you mentioned, kind of behind-the-scenes controversy. And from what I understand, I actually studied the film in college, which is where I first saw it. Oh,
0: wow, okay, cool. Um,
1: yeah, Yeah, it uh, it it was a meant to be kind of a documentary, but the director Flaherty also staged a lot of scenes because he only had one camera and very limited equipment. Um, And and a lot of there's a lot of liberties taken with you know Nanook's name wasn't even actually Nanook. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah. you know. uh, And there's some, but there's some scenes that are very clearly not meant to be taken literally, like the one where his family gets out of the canoe and they just kind of keep getting out like a clown car, you know. Um, So it's this very (laughs) strange kind of hybrid. Uh, movie, but it was intended to sort of represent this kind of life in the in the Arctic, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it is interesting. It's a lot of fun to watch, actually. It's one of the better films I've seen from that time. And it is, you know, culturally significant for being sort of the first documentary feature film, even if it, there's some questions to the veracity of it. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. But, so it so- basically sounds like they were doing... What they do
1: today with reality shows. Yeah, yeah, basically. It was actually more of a precursor to reality television than it was to, yeah. you know, real documentaries. But it, it sort of definitely, you know, it was definitely very important in the development of documentaries as feature-length films. So yeah, to me, yeah. it's culturally significant and it's an entertaining film. That that makes it, you know, worthy of being my number Oh, two. excellent. I'll made up then. I'll definitely watching that one
0: yeah yeah okay
1: all right so let's see i have to imagine we're on the same page here so yeah go ahead and tell me what your number one is i think most people will be doing this for 1922 yeah uh, mine is a uh, nosferatu yes that i'll just i'll spoil yeah. the suspense now that is my number one as well
0: so yeah it's the uh unauthorized adaptation of bram stoker's dracula directed by fw Murnau and starring max schreck as count orlock we've all seen if you haven't seen the film, you will know it because... You've seen clips from it at least. Yeah, you've know. seen clips. You know what he looks like. He's got the, the pointy teeth in the middle of his mouth and the uh, bald head, big ears. And yep. it's been parodied in cartoons, other films, adverts, uh, lots of other things. But it is it is a great horror movie. Yeah. It does great things. It's it's really creepy. Max Schreck is extremely creepy. I mean, you see photos, behind-the-scenes photos of him just resting in between takes. And you'd swear blind he was a real vampire.
1: Right. Well, they made that movie with Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Will. yeah, Shadow the Kissed Vampire. The, yeah. Shadow the right. Vampire, right, yeah. which posited that theory, actually, yeah. that, you know, that the he resource. was a real vampire on this film set. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't actually like that movie as much as I wanted to, but I, I do think that the original Nosferatu is a great film. It's, it's so visually stunning. Like you said, it's super creepy. You know, I think if, this is one of those occasions where being a, a silent film and being so old actually works in its favor yeah. when yeah. you watch it now, because it's almost like watching, like, a. Well, almost like a not a found footage film per se, but because of all the like the flickering imagery and that old style of filming, it's like a like a time capsule and it's like capturing yeah, almost good, like a yeah. real story of a vampire from the 20s, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great use of shadow as well.
0: Yes. It, I, I just say because it looks it's so old. I mean, it's been cleaned up a few times, but it's still it, it sort of gives it almost a more makes it more real. Right, you say, right. I just say, like, it's called, like a found footage before there was found footage films.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just kind of has that feel to it. It's, uh, yeah. it's very cool. So Excellent. Well, great pick. Obviously, we both have seen it and both enjoy it greatly. So that is a, a good dual number one. So our number 10 or number one, we're the same. Uh, number 10 and number one, yeah. Cocaine yeah. and Nosferatu. Cocaine and vampires. That's, that's cocaine the and vampires. Of, uh, after the ending here. Yeah. <laughs> Another t-shirt idea. Yeah, cocaine yeah. and vampires. What more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> Got everything covered there. Two major pretty, pretty, food much, groups. Yeah. pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. Don't do drug kids. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and don't do vampires either. Yeah, definitely. Don't go with vampires. They're bad. News. Right, right, exactly. All right, well, on that note then, uh, I think it is about time to bring things to a close. Phil, why don't you tell people what they can look forward to on our very next episode of After the Ending? Yeah, next
0: week we'll be going after the ending of The Incredibles. Um, before you say, well, there's a sequel in development, well, we, we will say in return it's in development So it hasn't been made yet, so we can do it. Not yet, so. And also we'll be doing an Arnie film and going after the ending of Commando, which uh, should be lots of fun.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to both of those. Yeah,
0: and we'll be doing The Year of My Birth, the top 10 films of 1973.
1: Oh, if we were doing The the Year of My Birth, it would be uh, 1994. (coughs) Yeah. (coughs) (coughs) Yeah. Yes, 1973 (coughs) should be fun to, uh, always fun to revisit the 70s there.
0: Yeah, it's uh, usually, well, lots of good films from the 70s, so I'm looking forward to doing that list.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I always, I have that love-hate relationship with films in the 70s, so I'm always excited to, to kind of look back and see what movies I really actually liked and what movies I have to sort of... Yeah, know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see
0: like. what films I love that you just absolutely hate. <laughs> That's true. that, that, that true. usually happens when we go back into... A, to these years
1: yeah the 70s is just a tough decade for me man I don't know what it is there's definitely that potential you're going to name some films that I that you love that I hate like, what can I yeah. say but hey it keeps it interesting for the listeners right well, well, yeah it certainly does and looking at the list
0: there's a couple of films already that we've already done after the endings for oh okay is, uh, oh this is going to be a tough list to do
1: yeah. alright I'm looking forward to it it's going to be a fun one yeah Great. Well, join us then. Well, between now and our next episode, if you'd like to touch base with us, we've already mentioned our social media. You can always email us directly at verizon.net as well. We would love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, get in touch with anything. If you have any suggestions or uh, if you want to let us know what films you, you liked 1922 or what you're looking forward to this year, just uh, drop us a line.
1: Okay, well, that's going to do us for this episode then. As always, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike Spring.
0: And I'm Phil Edwards.
1: And we'll see you next week. After the Ending. Cameos as Silent Bob, alongside. Uh, I kind of sound like I said Silent Blob there, which, while <laughs> not entirely inaccurate, uh, I think I'll do that one more time. <laughs> Sorry, little, little Silent loop, Blob. Silent Blob. Uh, anyway, okay. There's so many, so many different directions to go in with that. <laughs> Just like a Silent Blob would go in a lot of different directions. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin Smith. If you're listening, we love you. Yeah, we do. Holden surprised to, f-
0: to see him, or even more surprised. Wait, say that again. Yep. Holden is surprised to see him, but even sounded more. Sounds
1: like you, I'm sorry, I have know, it just sounded like you said. Holden is as surprised as f- to see him, and I was like, well, you know, we don't swear on this podcast, right?" <laughs> I don't know. Have you going to swear swearing about that? I mean, I know it's a Kevin Smith thing and all, so I know it's with it's with the spirit and all, but I was kind of like, "Slow down, there, Tex." <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts calling Sh- Sham cops, is what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But, I mean, if you're listening back to it and you realize there's bits where it can be cut, just cut them.
1: Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. I will. Yeah. Okay. It so- ends up being like, Tom Cruise plays John Anderton. The yeah. end.
0: <laughs> okay, just, yeah. Tom Cruise sees, sees the future with the help of a mutant, but he gets framed and ends right. up solving it. <laughs>
1: I may just use
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you can <laughs> yeah, do that.
1: Why don't you uh, give us the trivia report then, Phil? Right, I've just got to do my long term. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Apparently, all I care about is my ending. Uh, I don't give a crap what you have to say. I I said my long term. Damn it, we're done. <laughs> it's
0: uh, all about a a wild and wealthy woman played by. Oh, what was it played by?
1: I don't know. You were supposed to do that research before the oh, yeah. episode. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's...
0: <laughs> Yes, next week we'll be going after the ending of The Incredibles. Oh, you're right.
1: Yeah, that was actually just a piece of paper. I was moving for no particular reason. It made a really loud noise. Wow, it
0: sounded like she just had a pile of books falling or something. (laughs)